Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 9th. I'm Michael Guidry, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state health department is requesting an increase in funding so we can more effectively address community health issues. Then we hear from two reporters following how the U.S. Department of Justice is investigating police in Lexington. Plus, it's tax season. The IRS sharing how to spot fraud. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The State Department of Health is asking the legislature for an additional $7 million to increase salaries for employees and tackle community health issues. Dr. Dan Edney is Mississippi's state health officer and presents the request to the Senate Appropriations Committee. He told lawmakers $6 million, um, $6 million of those dollars will increase agency program funding. That's for projects that can address maternal and infant mortality rates, as well as the high number of babies born with syphilis. And he tells our Will Stribling the other $1 million will help boost salaries for employees making below $30,000 per year. We have been aggressively working to help the people we serve who were eligible for benefits to become enrolled. So we've been working to improve Medicaid enrollment for the folks we knew were eligible, at least to get family planning waiver active for them as we do their family planning work. Uh, trying to work with marketplace uh, as best we can, although that's much more difficult to enroll the folks we serve into marketplace, uh, and then just getting better at what we do in terms of billing and collections and generating the revenue properly. Yeah, one of the increased requests was six million for internal health department programs, and you said you want to use two, between two and two and a half million of that to tackle infinite and uh, maternal death. Yes. Uh, can you just tell me a, a bit about like what y'all's uh, ideas are for, for, for that program? What? Well, everything that we do in terms of programmatic issues is evidence-based. And one good thing about being last is you can see what's worked in other states and what hadn't worked. So with uh, our, our Healthy Moms, Healthy Babies, high-risk maternal infant program, it is nurse home visitation with full wraparound services to mitigate whatever's causing her high-risk pregnancy. And that's expensive, but it's, it's needed. And we, uh, it's in partnership with the Division of Medicaid, and you know, we still have some infrastructure investment we have to do with 
building the nurse workforce for that program and then you know making sure any shortfalls in terms of what we're reimbursed are, are covered without straining already strained budget and then our obstetrical system of care work uh, where we are designating hospitals to the proper maternal level of care so we know what which hospitals can do what where high response need to go where high risk babies need to be delivered so there's a NICU right there and we at the health department surveying those birthing hospitals so we know exactly what level of care that they can do, and then investing in the infrastructure of transportation to transfer to higher levels of care. That's going to be a short-term investment, probably about a million dollars, million and a half, uh, but that's one-time money. Healthy Moms probably, uh, I expect as we go forward, that that budget need will get smaller, uh, but probably for the next two to three years we're going to, you know, we really need that level of investment, as I said in the hearing, not just to get us off the bottom, but to get us off the radar with maternal infant death. And I know syphilis is another big priority for y'all. What uh, does tackling that issue look like for y'all right now? What is the path to get it to rein in that back and under control? Yeah, first thing is to find it, which we're doing a really good. We score really high with testing, and then we drop way off for treatment. And so as we find women who are pregnant with syphilis and we treat her, then we immediately get her in Healthy Moms High Risk Program with wraparound services so she doesn't get reinfected. And then our disease investigative specialists getting out into the community and finding those contacts and getting them treated so they don't reinfect her or other women. Uh, And that all costs money. We had anticipated federal funding which was withdrawn the last two years. I'm having to make it up in other places. And this and part of the $6 million, which is a very small number, I think it's a very reasonable number, uh, will help us really push the congenital syphilis crisis back under control like it should be. And uh, you also mentioned that within the next four or five years, the county health departments could begin to close if if if, we, if can't turn things around. What is? Well, can you just lay out the problem for me and what the path to to, to correcting that is? Yeah, the county health departments right now cost about forty two, forty three million dollars a year to run, and I'm not happy with the, the outcome because too many of them are closed way too much. We don't have enough staff for all of them. So really focusing on uh, getting all the health departments back open again with just the basics, getting overhead under control at all of them, improving how we generate revenue, which we started 17 months ago. So we're in, a better, we're in better shape now with county health departments than we were 17 months ago, but I still have a good ways to go, and I have about three years to do it. Uh, this last year, we generated over a million dollars more revenue. That goes right back into funding those county health departments. As I push overhead down with the business approach, you know, that frees up more revenue to take care of folks. Our encounters are up. We're seeing more patients than we ever have in the history of the health department. Uh, We just, a large number of them are uninsured, and we're working to squeeze that number down. And then we're just begging, you know, our decision makers to close the rest of the gap that I can't close so that everyone in Mississippi has access to primary medical care. You mentioned a pilot, a new pilot program at the end there. Yes. Can you break that down for me? We, uh, We have one of our public health districts 
at where we are looking at the new model of getting all the counties back open, but then concentrating our clinical services in a more strategic manner based on our workforce and the population centers for that district, and then using our transportation program at at no cost to the patient to bring them to us instead of us trying to get out all over the place to, to them. It's just extremely expensive to do that and not very effective. Uh, and then using telehealth. So ha- if I have all those county health departments open every day, then their access points for telehealth, they can sh- they show up if they if they need a provider, I will get them to a provider any day of the week, and uh, and the folks can depend on those super clinics being open. They don't have to worry about them closing because of lack of staffing, you know, which is plaguing us right now. The new model is what we do in the real world. It's the only thing I'm used to, and it works. Uh, but we're doing a demonstration project to work out the kinks because state government's different. Uh, just have to work out, see what works and what doesn't work. But the, with the goal being sustainability for funding for community-based public health for everybody in Mississippi every day. You mentioned, you know, the dwindling federal resources and then you hitting the practice of, you know, plugging holes in one area for money from a different area. You just talk a bit about that, this, like, gargantuan project of, of getting your book straight and what that, that means for the department and the future of public health in the state. Yes. You know, with the old model, you know, we just took whatever federal dollars of the day and would try to just plug the holes. We've been living off COVID dollars for the last three years, they're about to deplete. That was short-term money, and it's about gone. Uh, and there's nothing coming downstream to replace it. And I, and the old model doesn't work anymore. Even if we had plenty of funding, I'm totally dissatisfied with our outcomes. And so there's a better way to do it, a less uh, expensive way to do it, far more cost-effective way to do it, and that's where uh, we're pointed and field services providing those clinical services out all over the state maternal infant death is number one improving community-based public health is right behind it dr dan edney is the state health officer of mississippi coming up the police department in a small town in mississippi is being investigated by the justice department this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio Hi, Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Please join me and my colleagues for the Mississippi Arts Hour, where we have in-depth conversations with different creative Mississippians. That's the Mississippi Arts Hour, Sundays at 5 on Think Radio, or download it as a podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. The small town of Lexington, Mississippi, has less than 10 police officers. That makes it one of the smallest to ever be investigated by the Federal Department of Justice. The federal investigation was announced in late 2023 after residents in town said police harassed them and violated their civil rights. Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Michael McEwen and Gulf State's newsroom's Kat Stromquist have both been reporting on this story, and they sat down to compare notes. So, Michael, you've been reporting on this situation for about half a year and were there on the ground well before the Justice Department came out and announced its formal investigation. What first got this story on your radar? So I first traveled to Lexington, which is about an hour north of where I'm based in Jackson, after I was told the Department of Justice was hosting listening sessions 
so residents in the town can speak about their experience with police. The meeting was being held at the Holmes County Courthouse, and when I arrived, the line was out the door and spilling into the parking lot. And then the DOJ asked members of the press to leave. They said they wanted residents to speak candidly about their experiences with police and were worried about possible retribution should any comments or names be published from the meeting. So I turned off my recorder and left the courtroom and propped a chair next to the entry doors and listened to about 45 minutes of residents testifying to their experience with a culture of violence involving false arrests, sexual assaults, racially biased policing. So it was at that moment I realized this was something I just needed to continue to follow. So one thing that's really interesting about this, this wasn't the town's first brush with civil rights organizing. Yeah, so Lexington, like much of Mississippi, has a long history of civil rights organizing. A lot of people here talk about Hartman Turnbow. He was this farmer from just west of Lexington in a town called Milestone. Anyway, in the 1960s, he led this group of black residents to that courthouse in Lexington and attempted to register them to vote. They were attacked by a white mob, which included the local sheriff. But a lot of people in Holmes County still talk about them as in some way kickstarting the civil rights movement here. A lot of residents or even community organizers I spoke with said that they're the children or grandchildren of some of these same activists. And a number said things to me like, well, here we are again, fighting the same fight our parents or grandparents did. Speaking of civil rights cases, you talked to a few people involved in a current lawsuit, right? Yeah, so that's Peter Reeves, who's the plaintiff, and I talked to him and his mom, Sherry Reeves. Uh, Peter's part in the lawsuit is related to a stop at a roadblock that he says went kind of haywire. So the details of that are a little bit too complicated for me to explain here, but I did want to share a little bit from Peter's mom, Sherry, uh, as she's remembering that night. She's talking about the moment that another one of her kids comes to get her and tells her that Peter is getting arrested. Because on the way to the to the scene, my son that came and told me it was two about two a.m. in the morning startled me. But anyway, he came and told me uh, they got Peter in the back of the squad car. I said, I said what? I said, I got up. I said, let's go. And I said, I said, put your camera. I put. I said, put your phone on camera and and record as soon as I stop. So this memory. It's so striking to me because the first thing that she thought of was, put your camera on. This is someone who has an expectation that everything might not be on the up and up during a stop. And you can really hear the urgency in her voice as, uh, you know, she's kind of in the memory. Sherry has lived in the county for decades, and she was really upfront with me that things have changed there a lot. Um, Peter, the plaintiff, too, he said that everything was fine with the police when he was a kid. But then somewhere along the line, uh, things shifted. You know, it's really clear that some people have been traumatized by their interactions with police. But I don't think this is an anti-cop town. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I talked to Tracy Mayfield and her brother, Clay Montgomery Jr. And her story, it's, it's really pretty sad. Um, her son was killed and she's frustrated with a lot of things related to the investigation of his death. Years ago, she lost her husband to violence, too. I wanted to play a little bit of our conversation on that. Look how many unsolved murders we have. Yes. Yeah, if you pour that up. Just with, within the last past three years, it's been shooting after shooting. What do you think is driving that? Because they know they can get away with they it pretty like much. They feel like they can get away with it. Ain't nothing being solved. It's really... I think they're in over their head now because there's so many. How you, You'll never catch up now. 
Both Tracy and Clay say they'd like to see more from the police. They describe this strange environment where it feels like everybody knows who was involved in some of the most serious crimes, but no one's being held responsible. So bringing it back to the Justice Department hanging around in a lot of lawsuits filed, what's likely to happen with this? Michael, as I think you pointed out in one of your stories, the Justice Department says this is one of the smallest towns that it is, it is investigated. But they say it's more representative of police departments in the country, like half the country's law enforcement agencies are small like this. Years ago, a similar investigation led to the New Orleans Police Department entering into a consent decree with the DOJ. Basically, that means that that department has federal oversight now. But it's not really clear what exactly will happen in Lexington. We do know that if the Justice Department finds any violations, they'll release a report. As for the civil rights cases, I don't really know what might happen. That kind of case can take a long time to resolve. That was Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Michael McEwen talking with the Gulf States Newsroom's Kat Stromquist about the reporting on policing in Lexington, Mississippi. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, the IRS is cautioning filers about a number of scams during tax season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For Moments in Black History, we salute Al Himmler. Born in Tyro, Mississippi in 1915 and blind from birth, Al Himmler achieved national prominence with the Duke Ellington Orchestra in the mid-1940s before selling millions of copies of his recording of Unchained Melody. Al Himmler, who was involved in the civil rights movement in the 1960s, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This has been an MPB Moment in Black History. From pre-K to high school, Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Education Department enriches student learning. Learn more at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. The Internal Revenue Service, known commonly as the IRS, is warning Mississippians about the growing number of scams at play during tax filing season. Some financial advisors may claim to help get higher tax return rates or may charge customers by unethical means. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Maisha Horton, the special agent in charge of the Atlanta field office of the IRS. She says taxpayers should be vigilant when finding someone who can help with taxes taxpayers should avoid any return preparers who claim that they can obtain larger refunds um, than other preparers. That's generally an indication that there may be some fraud that's prevalent. Taxpayers should also avoid preparers who base their fee on a percentage of the amount of the refund. And we want them to use a reputable tax professional that signs and enters a preparer tax identification number, also known as a PTN and provides the taxpayer with a copy for their own records. The return preparer should review the return with the taxpayer, and the taxpayer should never sign a blank tax form. And we want to remind taxpayers that in the event that they are um, willfully involved in tax evasion or a tax crime, that that is a felony that's punishable up to five years of imprisonment and a $250,000 fine. 
what is the concern when it comes to people who claim they can get more out of a tax return or if they are charging by percentage? Well, the concern is that the return preparer is really pushing for the larger refund versus versus the accuracy of the return. And so anytime you have a return preparer that is trying to drive clientele based on the amount or trying to promise a, a refund amount, that is an indication of fraud. Taxpayers should be looking for return preparers that are asking them for complete and accurate information. Again, they should be reviewing the return with the taxpayer to show them how they arrived at that refund amount. And there should be an open dialogue back and forth to make sure that that tax preparer is preparing that return as accurate as possible. There is no guaranteed amount. If there's a return preparer that's saying, I can guarantee you a certain amount of a refund, that should be kind of an indicator. Now, where would you see the difference between somebody estimating how much somebody you might get back versus the person that might be nefariously trying to guarantee the how much somebody would get? Um, generally, when a return preparer is estimating, it's based on information that is provided by the taxpayer, and they can um, potentially maybe estimate versus you may see a sign that's saying we guarantee a certain amount without any, without any information being provided. Okay, so it's a, the difference between before and after the conversations about filling out the tax returns. Generally, yes. Now, you mentioned something earlier, the P-10. Can you explain a little bit about why filers should be looking out for that? Um, the P-10, that is just a number that a return preparer has that authorizes them to be able to file or prepare the return on behalf of the taxpayer. And sometimes the, the, the taxpayer may not be aware of it, but it is a question that they can ask to the return preparer. Like I said, reputable, reputable tax professionals um, do enter a P-10 number on the return, and then they can provide a copy of that return to the taxpayer. And that's something that a taxpayer should be asking for at the conclusion is a copy of the tax return for their own records. How prevalent are these time of scams? That, have you seen an increase in those in recent years? Tax, tax refund schemes are quite prevalent. Um, I want to say in the last year, in 2023, um, the IRS was able to identify over $37.1 billion in tax fraud and other uh, financial crimes. So it is a prevalent thing that we do see. Is it more online or in person from what y'all have been able to notice? It's actually a bit of both. If somebody's trying to find a, a reputable place to file their taxes, uh, what are some things that they should look out for? I know you mentioned the um, the guarantees and the percentages. Uh, are there any other red flags or green flags that you would look out for? Um, green flags, I would say, is, again, you're sitting down and you're meeting with the return preparer. They're asking you questions. They're asking for documentation. They are reviewing the return with the taxpayer for accuracy making sure that everything that is entered, the taxpayer is fully aware of everything that's input on that tax return. Um, They're going over the fee amount and making sure that something is agreed. They're not asking the taxpayer to sign a a blank form and the information is filled out later. Um, So it is an open dialogue that is back and forth. And again, they are openly and willing, willing to share a copy of that tax return with the taxpayer. If the taxpayer is going to a return preparer and the only thing they provided was their identifying information, they never reviewed the tax, pay, the tax return with the return preparer, they were never asked any questions, 
They only signed a blank document. They don't have a copy of the return. The only thing that they know is that they were getting this refund amount that was going to be deposited into their account. Those are things that they should look for as potential uh, red flag indicators. If someone does go to someone to get their taxes filed and that person has nefarious purposes, who would be held liable in that situation? Would it fall on the responsibility of the taxpayer to be prudent and making sure that they find a proper tax filer, or is there criminal fault on the filer's part? It could be both. Um, If the taxpayer is a willing participant in which they willingly go to a nefarious, a known nefarious return preparer with the purpose of obtaining a fraudulent refund, and yes, they could be held responsible as well, right along with that return preparer. Um, we do not go after individuals in which things are kind of done in error. We go for those that willingly commit tax fraud or willingly assist others in committing tax fraud. Maisha Horton is the special agent in charge at the Atlanta field office of the IRS. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi programming. And tonight, MPB News will air our 2024 season premiere of our weekly news analysis show at issue. For the return of our award-winning series, we're speaking with lawmakers, explaining the bills passing through the Capitol, and breaking these issues down with our experts, Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones. That's tonight at 6.30 on MPB Think Radio. And if you missed the show, you can find it online, wherever you get your podcasts, or on YouTube. I'm Michael Gidry. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Have a great weekend.